Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is my co-host, Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. If you don't know us, you're getting 45 years combined in sports journalism between us, 35 years covering Houston sports. So you're in very good hands. You're also getting birthday boy today. That's right. It's Sean's birthday. So we wish him happy birthday. Before you get to the text and Sean, though, who you've been covering out in NRG all week, I understand there's a World Series being played in Houston again. Have you heard about this? Yeah, how about that? Can't get here fast enough, huh? <laughs> I mean, after all this baseball, you know, it seems like every year, and, you know, the Astros have had uh, the fortune of uh, making fans wait four times over the last six years when they get ready to play in the World Series. There's like a week, and it seems like a month before you get to play a game. Well, it's nice when you sweep. That That's the benefit of that. You just get to maybe relax for a couple of days, which I'm I'm enjoying that part about it. Uh, they, they swept the Yankees with Tucker, Altuve, and Jordan, though, hitting a combined less than 200 for this series, relied mostly on Pena, Bregman, and the bottom of the lineup for this series. But, Sean, I noted in the Game 4 postgame that we saw Altuve and Jordan getting hits and coming out of their slump by the end of that series. Yeah, uh, that was the most encouraging thing, and I think maybe goes unnoticed by a lot of uh, people nationally. Um, and maybe even some in Philadelphia that are just looking at the overall numbers. But Jordan Alvarez certainly looked like he was putting his swing together. Altuve, you know, look, what do we talk about all the time year after year? And we've been watching a lot of baseball over the last 20, 30 years, um, just between you and me, Robert. When guys are in slumps, sometimes it's a bunt. Sometimes it's a fluke hit. Sometimes it's a hit by pitch just getting on base, Altuve has found a way the last couple of games to get on base after that 0 for 25 slump to start the postseason. So maybe even he can kind of get out of things. And if anybody could have used a little extra rest, it's maybe Altuve to get back in the lab, look at some film, get his swing down in the cages, taking some live BP and just figuring out a way to be effective and uh, dangerous at the plate. Once again, though, the best part about the whole thing, is everybody knows the dude's going to come back at some point, even the opposition, he still strikes fear in opposing pitchers, no matter what kind of slump he's in when he takes the box. Let's talk about the matchups for this series. And Zach Wheeler, their ace high fastball pitcher, so he could give Jordan and Tucker issues the same way the Yankees work those two. But Jordan lifetime versus Philly pitchers, 412 with a 1,033 OPS. Granted, small sample size, only 17 at-bats. He's never faced Zach Wheeler. Tucker's hit 269 with a 706 OPS and 26 at-bats, but 15 of those at-bats were just against Kyle Gibson, who spent a bunch of years with the Twins and the Rangers in the American League. Altuve's 295 with an 836 OPS. But again, most of his ABs have been also been against Gibson. 35 of 61 at-bats, more than half of his at-bats against any Phillies. I can go through all the Astros hitters, and it's pretty much the same story, Sean. And Bryce Harper spent time in the American League. So, yeah, that's a guy that the Astros have seen. But he only has 21 at-bats versus the Astros total, 5 of 21. The only success against Verlander, which was 2 for 5. So, again, not a huge sample size. If there's any matchups... I'd make note of JT Real Muto, three for seven off of Ryan Stanek with a home run. Maybe if we get into a late inning situation, no Ryan Stanek against Real Muto and Schwarber, two for three off for Keedy. 
both hits, home runs. Uh, yeah, we might not see Arkady much. Uh, Schwarber, two of 28. Two of 28 versus the rest of the Astros staff. So it, it's so hard to gauge any of this stuff because these guys haven't faced each other. Yeah, they haven't faced each other. And there's only so much you can really read into the uh, one-on-one matchups because it's extrapolated out, you know, over the course of, you know, their careers. And, um, you know, how guys, you know, approach or swings or just kind of vibe at the plate that they're currently going through or changing constantly. I do know this. You know, you mentioned Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber, JT Realamuto, and uh, I don't even think you mentioned Reese Hoskins. Those guys combined have been an absolute nightmare for pitchers this uh, in these playoffs. Five homers, 10 runs, and a 1,351 OPS in 11 games. And the most interesting thing about what the Phillies have done uh, this postseason, you know, we talk about the Astros dominating performance over the Yankees. To me, yeah, you, I, I, we can quibble on dominant, but damn, if you go re rewatch those four games here and in New York, they were tense. They were tense moments. They were close. You shut the Yankees out once. That was your largest margin of victory, that 5 nothing game. I think it was in game two or game three. I can't remember. But they were all highly contested, very competitive, close, nerve-wracking games to a certain degree. And that's kind of what, you know, balances everything out is, hey, let's – pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, having fun and talking about your dominance over the Yankees. It was still a competitive series. The Phillies had not played an elimina elimination game yet this postseason. And the Astros haven't either. They just swept through it. And everybody's looking at them or maybe making history for the first time since I think it's 1976 when the Cincinnati Reds uh, swept the entire playoffs on their route to a world championship. Um, you look at the historical element and how these players factor into all of that. I want to know what some of the uh, numbers look like with the Phillies hitters against Astros pitchers in relation to Astros hitters versus Phillies pitchers and see how that looks. Maybe it makes us feel a little bit better. Maybe it makes us feel a little bit worse. One thing I do know is the Astros in 2021 and in 2019 both ran into a couple of teams in the Nationals and the Braves that were streaking, that were playing some great baseball. That has me side-eyeing the Philadelphia Phillies right now. And it's a team that I think this is going to be a fantastic World Series. I don't think it's going to be easy. Six is always the easy number to pick when you pick a series. But I'm going to refrain from doing that. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You asked about it. The Phillies are 5 for 36 against Fromber, 12 for 56 versus McCullers, 7 for 38 off Verlander. Christian Javier's only faced two Phillies, period, ever. But Brandon Marsh is a concern. So look for the Brandon Marsh versus Christian Javier. He's four for seven off Javier. So definitely that's one matchup that might not look too good when you look between the Astros starters and the Phillies guys. Um, you wanted me to ask this question, Sean, so I know you must have a good answer. Who do you trust the least on the Astros staff right now? Who do you trust the least? There has to be somebody, right? Um, the guy that maybe makes you most nervous, uh, despite him having some of the filthiest stuff that we'd seen uh, over the course of the last month or so of the regular season and into this postseason, is probably Brian Abreu because of experience. Um, what I think is interesting 
about that question and who the Astros have thrown, you mentioned one name already, and that's Jose Urquidy. And I think it's going to be a good follow. And certainly the Astros have a decision to make on um, if they're going to make a change with their roster. Could it include Will Smith, given the fact that the uh, Philadelphia Phillies do have a lot of left-handed bats, namely Schwarber, Harper, and Marsh, who you also mentioned? I think that's going to be interesting. But how that could factor in are a couple of guys, and one in particular, Jose Urquidy, and I'll go ahead and mention the other one, Ryan Stanek, two of the least used, most successful pitchers on the Astros staff this regular season. They are filthy. Their numbers tell a story. But the advanced statistics tell a much cooler story. Their stuff is ridiculously filthy. If you look at the numbers of ERA plus between Ryan Stanek, who uh, posted the lowest career ERA for him and a, a team record for lowest ERA for the Astros this season. If you look at those numbers between Stanek and Arkady, who have only pitched two postseason innings this year, they could be used, and I think in some key spots here in this series, because what Dusty Baker has done, and it's it's it, it's a credit to the depth that they've been able to accumulate. You don't know who's coming in the sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth. Sure, it was Presley who got three saves this postseason in his ninth, I think, career-wise. That's like the one guarantee you can have. Um, but you don't know who's really going to set him up. Typically, it'd been Stanek. Well, we've seen Montero, we've seen Neris, um, you know, in some of those situations. We've seen Abreu, who was given the eighth inning earlier this postseason. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility for Stanek and Arquiti in some way, shape, or form to play some vital roles in the Astros pitching staff. And for Arquiti, if it's out of the bullpen, maybe a piggyback role at some point in this series, I just wouldn't be surprised. But I think both of those guys are going to play key roles in this World Series. Will Smith would be the guy that I would be most concerned about because I think he is going to be on this staff. There, There's some lefties to deal with with the Phillies that we haven't seen. And Seth Martinez was a guy that, you know, was on the LCS roster and they didn't need him. And it doesn't feel like they're going to need him in this series. So Will Smith might be the switch off there. It might be fairly easy. Uh, Arkady's going to, I would assume, be around because – just in case you get into an extra inning situation, he's he's like Luis Garcia, an arm that can go an extended period of time. So, you know, but I mean, Arquiti, I guess, would be a concern, but how much is he going to pitch? And, and Will Smith, that would be a concern for me because I just, I'm like, we, we have relievers that get out lefties. We don't need a lefty specialist when you got righties that get out both righties and lefties. And if somebody gets in trouble and gets comes in, he's facing two hitters, that are lefties and he can't get them out. Now he's got to face the third hitter. You know, it's much easier to get uh, three singles uh, when you are facing the same guy that's in trouble, as opposed to if, if it's a, you know, you, you, it's harder to get the, the uh, righty in trouble because he's going to be able to get both guys out. Whereas Will Smith obviously better, but, you know, he's the veteran and he played so well in last year's World Series. So, you know, I I, I don't know. I mean, I hope, I hope we're not there. I just hope we're not there. I, I heard Chandler Rome talking about this the other day, who's the Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. And he mentioned Will Smith um, in being a possibility for Dusty Breaker, Dusty Baker to make active for the World Series. What's interesting about that is his breakdown and 
the lack of confidence and trust that I think a lot of people and maybe everybody has in Will Smith from the shaky performances that we'd seen during the regular season is that if, in fact, Dusty Baker does have Will Smith on the roster and uses him um, in some leverage situations against lefties this series, that means that somebody's not doing their job. Because as you mentioned, uh, the Astros have righties that are very good against lefties. So somebody's not doing their job. I thought about that in what Rome said, and I was like, well, you know what? Like, this comes down to maybe a different discussion, too, because what we'd seen from Will Smith didn't inspire great confidence in him during the regular season. However, he's had a lot of time off. He's fresh. Maybe he's figured something out. So if, in fact, that's the case and he's going to be considered on the World Series roster, how do you weigh that versus actually going out there and doing it and being in leverage situations in the postseason? Well, part of the reason why it was so intriguing for the Astros to acquire him in this deal earlier this year was that he did have postseason experience, and he was lights out last year for the Atlanta Braves. But here's Ryan Stanick, who we have supreme confidence in, who didn't pitch for 10, 11, 12 straight days, comes in and does a fantastic job. So if, in fact, the Astros believe Will Smith could be effective in spot roles, in leverage situations to combat the Phillies uh, lefties, and the power lefties they do have, and Schwarber and Harper in particular, and Marsh can poke them out of the ballpark as well, um, I think that's something to consider. I wouldn't be necessarily surprised. However, we've talked ad nauseum about all the right buttons that Dusty Baker has pushed if, in fact, that is a decision that he makes, could it be the one that bites him in the butt at the end? A couple of things that uh, you should consider with this Phillies team. Wheeler and Nola, they're two aces. Nola, not so much that high fastball guy. You know, that's not his forte from what I know about Nola. And the high fastball is what was killing Jordan and Tucker. And the, that's what the Yankees went after. So... Sean, I, I just want to get your impressions because what, what can you tell us about this Phillies team? I know a lot of the Astros fans haven't watched much of the Phillies this year or any of the Phillies. Um, we know about Wheeler and Nola, like I said. Riamuto may be the best two-way catcher in baseball. Obviously, we know Bryce Harper. What what else should the, should the Astros know about the Phillies? What can you tell us? Well, they've got, they've got an extremely uh, good couple of guys they're trusting in their pen right now. And... Um, you know, it's different than that of like the Cleveland Indians, right? Which when they were going in that series against the Yankees, they were on a run of like 18 and two thirds scoreless inning. And I mean, they were rivaling, you know, some age old records with what their bullpen at large was doing. The Phillies, you know, the one difference, and it's a major difference between this Astros and Phillies roster is the lack of depth that Philadelphia has. You mentioned Nola and Wheeler. Aside from that, you know, you get to their third starter, which I think is Efren, and their bullpen. They've really trusted, like, a couple of guys. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. Um, but the depth makes them very predictable because they don't have a lot of their trusted guys um, that they've been putting in high-leverage situations. It's really been one or two guys. The Astros, we talked about it. You go Nares, you go Monterey, you go Stanek, you go Abreu, you can go Presley um, in, in those spots. And they even dove into their starting staff with Christian Javier, um, you know, out of the pen. Luis Garcia, we, we, we know the depth that the Astros have from a pitching standpoint. And I think the way that the Astros could possibly attack 
this Philadelphia lineup with um, the power lefties that they do have. I trust Martin Maldonado in the Astros scouting department to really put together a great game plan. I mean, no, nobody dives deeper into that. It's been well-documented. Justin Verlander's talked about it. Garrett Cole's talked about it. Zach Grinke's talked about it over the years. The amount of planning that uh, Maldonado goes in and, and, and executes in a game plan is tremendous. So I have the faith there. There's no question about that. But how they decide to attack Bryce Harper, who really is, Robert, this otherworldly type of hitter right now. He's not a, I'm going to yank it 450 feet into the right field bleachers. He hits power to all fields. Just go back and look at the 17, 18 hits that he's had this postseason. Most of them have come dead center to left field, and he's poked them out of the yard in all directions. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do attack Harper in particular. Schwarber, you know, he's kind of, he's been there, done that. He's got World Series pedigree. He's swinging the bat like, eh, okay. But he's a threat every time he comes into the box to poke one out. And I worry about the Crawford boxes, these two first home games. If the Astros think they're going to pitch both of those guys away, you have to be mindful at short porch. I think it's going to be a good mixture. And what Lance McCullers really tried to do, even though he suffered with his command his last start, keep the ball low in the zone. If they bite, great. If they don't, fine. You'll take a walk. You just have to worry about nobody being on base uh, before them in those situations. You'd like to operate with certainly more than one out with those guys. The big thing with the Astros is the Phillies, yes, they're a better team than the Yankees. They got a better lineup. Uh, there's top two starters might be more on a roll than the Yankees starters were coming into the series. But if you're the Astros, just have good at bats. Get these guys uh, to throw as many pitches as possible. Get into the bullpen. The Astros, you know, we know what the Astros bullpen is. It's a deeper bullpen than the Phillies. The Astros, the deepest bullpen in baseball. That's where they have their success is, is, is doing that. I, I, I'm not going to make any predictions, Sean, in this series because I don't, I don't like to predict. Because <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I predicted, I would always predict against the Astros because I'm not going to jinx it or anything like that. But, um, I, you know, it, this, can, this can't be an easy series for the Phillies. That's the one thing I'll say. I, I, I would say that the Phillies aren't going to, you know, roll over the Astros. It's, it's going to be either a very tight series or the Astros are going to take care of business. That's my yeah. final take. These things are so hard. When it comes down to the World Series, I mean, they're the two best teams in all of baseball. They really are. They really are just the way that they've played. Um, it, it, look, the, the most remarkable thing, it always seems like the opposition has those storylines, you know, against your team. And it's Bryce Harper, you know, leaving the, leaving the Nationals ahead of the 19th season that went to the World Series. And now he's, bam, in the World Series. And, you know, he's a, he's, he's a veteran that the World Series has just eluded him. And now he's playing some of the best baseball he has in his career at the exact right time. And, you know, the swing of his life, the dramatic home run to punch their ticket, they got that going for him. They got the fact that they, uh, you know, slammed the door on their manager, Joe Girardi, 50, 51, 52 games into the season and completely just turned things around with Rob Thompson uh, seemingly pressing all of the right buttons uh, from that point, they've got a team that is playing together. They talk about the Phillies just the way you talk about a, a World Series team, but a lot of the similarities, the way that you talk about our Astros for the last, um, you know, five, six, seven years, um, the closeness, the camaraderie, the pulling for each other. I mean, all great teams have all of those things in common. And 
it's just going to be one of those situations where you hear so much of that, you start side-eyeing it a little bit, and you're like, damn, that historical element, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies squad that, you know, hadn't been to a World Series in 15 years. We'll try 50 years for the Astros, you know, before they won their first one uh, in 2017, or even went to their first one, rather, in 2005. So I guess you have that. Ignore the historical element. It just comes down to who's better than whom in a seven-game series. And I tell you what, I'm not I'm not going to predict that it's going to happen, but how special would it be? And what is your confidence level, Robert, in the notion that the Astros could sweep the postseason? They got their two games at home to start this World Series. You know, the Phillies have to go up against historically great Astros pitching already in and of itself. How cool would it be if they tie for the 76 Reds team. Just just win. Post. The Astros need a championship after the 2017 where their Astros fans want to, you know, admit to it or not. They need one. They need, they need to verify the dynasty, the D word, if you're going to be in that conference. Just get the, get the championship. They've, they've lost to two NL East teams the last two times they went to the World Series. This is the third one. Let's get it done. It can't be the third time is the charm for the NL East against the Astros. Obviously, the Astros owe the Phillies from 1980 when the Astros were up 2-0 in the LCS and the Phillies came back and won three straight to win that one. They did it in the Astrodome. They did it against uh, the comeback was started against Nolan Ryan, who was starting that game and was on the mound. And, you know, I remember that as as a kid. And, yeah, I mean, I, I just I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Uh Reminder to subscribe, like, and comment on YouTube to support the show. But also don't forget to look for the live Astros World Series post games that I'm doing with Stephen Kerr. And of course, Sean and I will do our live Texans and Titans post game show as soon as it's over. So between Friday and Wednesday, you're either getting an Astros or a Texans post game every single day on this channel. If you miss them, stream it later, but we're going to react to comments during the live version, so you're going to want to tune in, tell all your friends. We had a great special guest last week with Jason Braddock, uh, who gave us some great stuff for the uh, Texans postgame, the Astros postgame. We had Greg Lucas this past weekend on Game 3, so you never know who might show up in the in the live sessions, but uh, it's a lot of fun. And, Sean, the Texans, a couple of key injuries against the Raiders What's the latest on Nico, Malik Collins, Titus Howard, anybody else I might have forgotten? What's the latest there? Kenyon Green got banged up in that game, too, and he was wearing a right knee brace uh, this morning at practice, um, which I thought was kind of interesting because when Kenyon Green went down in that game, you know, there was a close-up of him on the field. He actually kind of pointed to his left shoulder or pec area, um, and I asked some people about that, and they said, well, yeah. Uh, he got banged up, but it's nothing serious there. And then he shows up today in a right knee brace. Uh, but he practiced, uh, so no no issue there. You mentioned Titus Howard. He looked fine today. Uh, Malik Collins was out there present at practice, uh, but in flats, did not participate with the team. Nico Collins was not visible this morning at practice, didn't see him, likely seeking treatment. Um, we've yet to get a uh, official update from the Houston Texans on that. Of course, Lovey Smith said today that, hey, just Nico didn't practice today um, and offered no timetable for a return and kind of hinted at maybe um, he wouldn't miss any time. Though with the groin injury, you would suspect that um, things have to go absolutely perfect um, this week for Nico to not miss any time. So that's the latest in terms of the health updates. Um, with those guys, of course, the Texans parted ways with Tyler Johnson. They brought in Tyron 
Johnson with an N. Um, another tall, good, big body receiver, lanky, stringy, wiry, muscular. Um, he looked pretty good in the one-on-ones that we were able to watch this morning. Of course, he has some familiarity with the organization, not namely the system, because he practiced with the team in training camp in 2019 as he broke into the NFL before they cut him loose. He's kind of bounced around since. And uh, Davis Mills and Lovey Smith talked a little bit more highly, I guess, if I was to have to power rank what they thought of Tyron Johnson as opposed to Tyler Johnson when they signed him seven weeks ago. Talked a little bit more highly with some different expectations. So maybe that should tell us something that Nico could miss a week and maybe they do think they can work Tyron Johnson in uh, to this offense because another big body receiver, somebody you can put it up and just have him go get it, is absent once you get beyond Nico Collins on this roster right now. Trade deadline is next week. Our friend Aaron Wilson with the Houston Football Show said he's hearing the Texans aren't looking to trade anybody. His sources are usually pretty good, but you never know what might happen. What's your feeling on it, Sean? Who would you like to see them deal, if anybody? I think the guys that you need to pay attention to, it's Brandon Cooks, um, possibly uh, even Steven Nelson, maybe Desmond King. Um, I, I could be way off base there, but when you're one four and one and, uh, you know, your, your defense is struggling, um, and you're, you're, you're not making the playoffs this year. I mean, everybody kind of gathers that and look, you're still trying to play to win games, but you know, it is what it is. I think you're just kind of looking at some of your better players on the roster and making a business decision on whether or not you think you can continue to acquire picks. I want to just mention on Brandon Cooks, you know, looking again at his contract and he's 30 years old. He's not having a good year. The question with Brandon Cooks to me, Sean, is because because you'll you'll hear his name out there a lot is what you're going to get for him. And to me, I don't see them getting a third round pick. I, I would doubt a fourth round pick. Once you get beyond the fourth round. You're just talking about maybe something that you could deal up a few picks for. And is it worth doing that to take away one of Davis Mills options? For instance, if Nico is out for two or three weeks with the groin injury, because you want to get the most out of Nico that you or the most out of Brandon Cooks that you can with Davis Mills to just see what we've got with Davis Mills. And Davis Mills has started to look better. So I'm like, well, I, I, I the, the, the most important thing for this organization right now yeah, picks are important. Future capital is important. But if it's a late round pick versus seeing what you have in Davis Mills and being able to evaluate him better, that that's the real question with Brandon. The other guys, I they could go. Desmond, uh, Steven Nelson, et cetera. That, that's fine. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I get what you're saying. The point's well taken in regards to Davis Mills. I mean, it was already a question. Have you put him in the best possible position to succeed? And if you trade Brandon Cooks, then you're you know, doing him a further disservice. You're taking um, their leading receiver away. He's leading the team with 28 catches. He's second in yardage this season, uh, just behind Nico Collins, who could miss at least one game, uh, presumably with this groin injury. We just don't know yet. Um, But I was going to say, you know, the one guy that I would suspect that could be on the move, and I'm not going to say should be, is Brandon Cooks contractually, it is a very interesting thing. He's restructured his contract twice since signing that extension with the Houston Texans, and most recently in September. 
And what that restructure did is it converted much of his $1.7 million base salary for this season into a signing bonus, just over $800,000 of that, also freeing up just over a half million dollars in cap space for the Texans. But beyond that, he signed through 2024 season. There is a massive cap hit, a massive dead cap figure on both of those years with Brandon Cooks that seemingly is not attractive if you're looking to deal him. However, it has happened. It can happen. But to what degree to make it suitable for a trade partner, you could restructure Cooks' deal once more and then move him. The deadline's November 1st. The Packers are looking for a receiver potentially. There's other guys out there, free agents, that could muddy the waters a little bit. And Cooks is probably going to lose out um, to uh, another higher tier free agent wide receiver, wink, wink. You know who that is. Um, And if that's the case, well, Aaron Wilson had the report today that the Los Angeles Rams, who would had Brandon Cooks before and went to the Super Bowl with, I do believe, um, are interested uh, and have made a call to the Texans. Um, And I'm writing a story today on some other teams that have inquired about Brandon Cooks as well. You can look for that on SportsRadio610.com. Just finishing that one up. But I, I think the Texans... If you put a gun to my head right now, probably do move on from Brandon Cooks. It's probably not going to make sense for them financially because it would almost be cheaper for the Texans to keep Brandon Cooks and have him play here versus trade him, given the cap hits. Um, And having said that, it kind of comes down to, is Brandon Cooks really all in? Is Brandon Because you sign him to that extension to help develop Davis Mills to make sure you could find your quarterback, a guy you think could be a part of the future, give you the best indicator. And if Cooks isn't all in, then you're going to go a heavy dose of Philip Dorsett for the rest of the season. He's got to stay healthy. What's the health status of Nico Collins? Beyond that, you've got Chris Moore and a Tyron Johnson. It gets very bleak very quickly once you get beyond those top two. But the the Texans have to think about like shuffling in guys and just like, hey, let's take a chance. What if this guy works out? What if that guy works out? If you throw some guys into the fire that, you know, on other practice squads, you pick them up or whatever, you you never know. I I would like to see some of that because obviously if the talent was here, we would have seen it. They would have excelled. Why not? You have this opportunity. It's the benefit of the way the NFL sets things up. There's a lot of guys in this league we know if they're just given a shot, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Sean, I, I just got to say, in the next 24 hours or so, I'm going to do a full show with Frank from HDX Chop Shop on the Rockets' first few games. And as we're recording this, the Rockets are 1-3. and three, So this is before Wednesday night's game. But I, I got to throw out a few positives out there for everybody because I, I get down on these guys as, as much as anybody when I watch, you know, the losing and all of that. But... Jalen Green last year versus Jalen Green this year. The three-point field goal percentage, 34% last year, 48% after his first four games. I don't think he could keep it up. It's sustainable, but still 48% his first four games. His free throw percentage has gone from 79-7 to 92-9. He's gone from 17 points a game to 24 points a game. I think that could be sustainable for sure. Uh, He's also added a rebound per game. The Rockets' offensive efficiency has gone from 26th in the league to 20th. Might not seem a lot, but you got to just get baby steps here. And this is against some better teams that they played so far. Their defense has gone from 29th to 24th. 
again, it's baby steps, but you you got to get there. And they were dead last. This is the big one for me, Sean. Dead last in the league and rebounds per game last year. Prior to Wednesday night, they're now fourth in the NBA in rebounds per game. That's a huge deal. And that's one of the reasons I thought they were going to be a better team this year because I knew the rebounding was going to be better. And please, and we're going to talk about this with Frank, please get Tari Eason out there. He's a rebounding machine. He's a ball magnet. Get him out there more. I, I, I will probably spend 10 minutes and just do a whole 10-minute thing just by myself tomorrow on Tari Eason. But uh, yeah, th- th- they're showing some improvement. It's hard to see sometimes, though. It's, it's tough. You know, and it's funny, too. I need to see a little bit more um, as we get maybe 15, 20 games into the season. One thing I, I I shake my head at, and I would expect defenses to be better to start the season. And so the way that I look at the first four games is I think the opposing defenses, perimeter defense on the Rockets has been absolutely horrible. Closing out, like the catch-and-shoot um, opportunities that the, that the Rockets have gotten, They've been there, and they've hit them. Um, but when defenses get better, that's when I want to see increased movement away from the ball and attacking the basket a little bit more, and I think you're going to see a lot of those shooting percentages kind of come down. Jalen Green's supposed to be a freaking baller, okay? I don't think he's going to hold a 48% clip the whole season, but I would expect above 40 because I think the guy's really improved his shot. He, they've been fun to watch so far. Jabari Smith has looked good. Maybe he didn't talk about him. Um, I'm excited about that guy. Um, especially what he's doing from beyond the arc and rebounding wise, rebounding is so huge. And I've been, that's probably been my most encouraging thing because it does take will, it does take effort, it does take hustle to get to some of those loose balls. I just think turnovers have really continued to plague the Rockets so far and has really caused them to stumble out of the gate at one and three. They played three really competitive games, never mind the 20 point blowout they suffered to the Bucks the other night. But I mean, hell, you know, if you take a little bit better care of the, the basketball, Robert, I think they probably could have been in that game, too. Their turnovers are, are better, though. Believe it or not, their turnovers are better. And you talk about the defense. It's not so much that I feel like the effort's not there. It's not so much, you know, they're getting blown by one-on-one. Their, their issue, the first three games, they didn't have a good plan against Trey Young, Giannis, and Ja Morant. And if you don't have a good plan against those guys, and that's the big part for them with the with the Rockets is, and I and I will we'll be talking more about this with Frank tomorrow. Uh, it's a big deal, you know. They've got to get better at that part of of the defensive and and how you do do that. And that might be a coaching thing, and that might be part of the conversation that we're going to have tomorrow. But stay tuned for that. But you know what, Sean, I can't finish with the Rockets. We got to finish with the World Series Astros gotta get this one we gotta get this one i just i i can't live with it if they don't get this world i can't three world series losses in four years i can't live with it screw it i'm going stros and five <laughs> stros and five stros and five they're too good they're too good sorry bryce harper stros and five all right birthday boy i i i'll give it to you if you say so Let, let's do it i mean i think thanks for doing this work we're, we're gonna talk texans on sunday but uh yeah, if you, if you want to pop it on the Astros, feel free. But um, looking forward to the Texans on Sunday, and man, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun next week for sure. Let's go, let's go, Stros. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. 
Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.